the results of the investment uh, that you have invested in us uh, throughout these years, both uh, through our training here in the seminary and uh, through the ministries that, that we were able to be involved in in the church. And now as you continue to invest in us through your prayers, through your financial support, uh, the things that the Lord is doing is really, it, it's fruit that is abounding to your account. And just as Paul said to the Philippians, we rejoice. And more than the gift that you send, we rejoice in our partnership uh, in the gospel with you. And we rejoice that God is at work and there is fruit that is, that is abounding to your account uh, because of, of your investment in us. And so we just want to express our thanks, our gratitude, our love to you. Uh, it's such a, pl- a privilege for us to be here. And even to be back here based in this area, God has uh, enabled us to have the majority of our churches that are uh, supporting churches on the East Coast are within about three or four hours of Virginia Beach. That allows us to be here during the week. Uh, our kids are loving getting plugged into the Awana program and, and some of the other activities here. And then on the weekends, we're able to go and report. But it's been great just to be here uh, in the area. And we're looking forward. We're going to be doing a little bit of traveling, uh, as, as Pastor Campbell, Paul mentioned, um, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of traveling around the holidays, but then back uh, maybe around mid-January, we'll be back in the area. And we look forward to, uh, to being back with you, to getting together with many of you. Uh, just want to open the scriptures with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Second Timothy. As I was thinking about what the Lord would have me to share as we report, and especially here uh, as we report uh, at Colonial Baptist, our sending church, we really, the Lord put on my heart this passage from Second Timothy chapter 2, and especially the verse that really encapsulates the ministry uh, that we have in Cameroon, verse 2, which talks about what we have received to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so as I was preparing uh, for this, this sermon, and then as I was, uh, since we're not often here on Sundays, I went to Colonial's website to stream some of the messages. And you can imagine my joy when I found that seven weeks ago, Pastor Daniel preached on this very same text. <laughs> but I said, you know what? In Cameroon, I'm also known as Pastor Daniel. So I get to preach on this text too. (laughs) Not to repeat, and in fact, Pastor Daniel, you're going to help me immensely because in the short time that we have this morning, we're going to not delve as deeply maybe as we normally would into the exegesis of the text because that has already been done. But we're going to focus on four imperatives uh, in this passage. We're going to read... 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-10, to 10, and we're going to focus on the four imperatives that Paul lays out here for Timothy for gospel ministry. As we know, this text is possibly the last letter that Paul wrote, the last scriptural letter, surely, that we have. Paul is writing to Timothy. He knows that he is about to face a certain death, and he is encouraging Timothy, his son in the faith, his disciple, to continue on in this gospel ministry, and he gives him four imperatives. Four things that are necessary, that will be necessary for Timothy to continue in this ministry. And four things that are necessary for us as we look to be involved in ministering the gospel from the neighborhoods to the nations. 
So if you have your scriptures with me and you're open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you'd stand with me as we read the first 10 verses. 2 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 10. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Okay, thank you. You may be seated. As we look at this passage and we see these four imperatives that Paul is going to lay out for Timothy, the first one is to be strengthened by grace. And really this word, and and I was so joyed as I listened to Pastor Daniel preach this text, and he, he used the term empowered. The word strengthened, is the same root word as the word power that is used in this, elsewhere in this letter. So Paul is essentially saying to Timothy that if you are going to engage in gospel ministry, in ministering the gospel, you must be empowered by the grace of God. Grace is to be the engine that drives everything that we do. And I'm by no means an auto mechanic. But I can tell you that if you have the most beautiful looking car, but there's no engine in it, you can sit in it, and you can turn the wheel, and you can pretend you're driving, but it's not going to take you anywhere. And we have seen, even in our ministry, that there are many people, even in Cameroon, with beautiful structures on the outside. Beautiful church buildings. And they have beautiful services But in reality, the ministry is not really going anywhere because the engine of grace is not driving it, is not pushing it forward. And this, of course, implies that the believer understands and fleshes out the implications of grace in his or her life. To be strengthened or to be empowered by grace means to really have an accurate understanding of what grace is. And this is just one of the reasons why we are so thankful and grateful that God brought us to this church and to this seminary. Because it was here that we really grasped the depths of what is grace. What does the grace of God, what is it and what does it mean for me? It's not just, oh, great, grace, I can do whatever I want. No. As Paul says to Titus, it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And so understanding and fleshing out grace in our lives. And we have had the joy in our ministry in Cameroon to see this in a number of different ways. And I'd, love to, I'd like to give you just a couple illustrations of that. In the video, you saw many faces 
I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, one of our students named Joseph. Joseph was saved in uh, the church that we were involved in from the beginning, the church that our coworkers planted. We had the opportunity to disciple him. And it has just been a joy to watch him grow. And as he understands the scriptures now as a seminary student, and as he digs deeper into the scriptures and is understanding grace, it has transformed his life. And it has transformed his marriage. And it has transformed his ministry. Culturally, in Cameroon, we, sometimes there, there are different things that, that we have to deal with. And one of them, especially with the men who are training to be pastors, is the way that they see and treat their wives. Culturally, it is, is very normal for a man to view his wife as inferior. And this shows up in many different ways, in, both in the way he treats her, the way he speaks to her, uh, we have had even instances where we have had to deal with some students who are physically correcting, hitting their wives. And they might think of justifying it by saying, well, the Bible says that God chastens those that he loves. So really, when I do this, when I beat my wife, I'm just showing her that I love her. And so taking a person like Joseph, who who was very steeped in that kind of cultural mindset and helping him understand uh, what God's grace is and what it really means. And and it's it's been such a joy to watch as he, he, to see his life transform and change. And to hear him now say, you know, I'm just so thankful for what God has teaching me because I realized that before I was so arrogant and I was so proud And I thought I was so, and now I realize what the grace of God really is and what God's grace has saved me from. And he is pressing on in ministry. We had the opportunity uh, at the seminary. I'm I'm asked to teach a number of different classes. There's no specialties. You kind of have to be a jack of all trades. And so uh, one of the class I was given uh, was a class called the philosophy of Christian life. Well, what's the philosophy of the Christian life? I thought. And there had been a former syllabus, and and they walked through a number of things. But fortunately, when they give me these classes, they also give me the latitude, and the seminary president says, here is the old syllabus, but feel free, take it, do whatever you want with it. So I wrote to Pastor Daniel, and I said, can you send me any notes that you have on the grace philosophy? What what did you use for the new members class? And I was able to take that and rework that and spent basically an entire semester teaching grace. The first half of the semester talking about what is grace, and then in the second half of the semester connecting that to various points of life and ministry. And I had students such as Joseph who would come up to me and say, you know, this is amazing. I've been in church all my life. I've heard preaching all my life, and I've never heard about this. I've never heard about grace. And this is wonderful, and it's, it's transformational, and it answers so many questions that I had. We've seen it in the lives of other students who have, as I mentioned, grown up in church all their lives, been in church, and they they find themselves frustrated with a very legalistic, a very superficial Christianity. And through many of our conversations, even outside of the classroom, they'll come and they'll they'll share some struggles that they have. And they'll say, you know, and and just having that opportunity to speak with them and to, to help them understand grace and then to watch them now turn around and take that back to their own churches and to talk about how their churches are growing and changing 
and seeing transformation. And of course, seeing resistance. Because not everybody is ready to accept change. But we have just seen men and women be strengthened by grace. As we were strengthened by grace in our time here. And empowered. And it's, it's such a blessing to watch them now fleshing out grace in their own context. So that is the first imperative that Paul lays out for Timothy and for us. To be engaged in gospel ministry means to be strengthened by grace. The second one, Paul says, is entrust this to faithful men. This word entrust is used two times in the first chapter, from verses 12 to 14. And it has a certain connotation as, as you look at this word in trust. It carries the idea of a deposit. Now, all of us know what a deposit is. And in fact, if your bank were to call you up tomorrow and said, someone has made a deposit into your account, we would all be pretty happy with that phone call, wouldn't we? And in our, in our lives, all of us from various sources have had spiritual truth, have had this gospel of grace deposited into our account. But of course, maybe contrary to what we keep in the bank, this deposit is not to be kept to ourselves. It is a deposit that is meant to be, it is deposited in our account so we can have something to disperse to others. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy when he says in verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this deposit doesn't simply take place in a seminary classroom or a Bible college classroom. If we look back in in chapter 1, Paul is talking about, uh, if we look in verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. So Paul is tracing the line of his deposit. Where did he get the deposit? From his ancestors. And then he talks about Timothy. In verse 5, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So before this deposit is ever put into our lives at in a seminary classroom or in a Sunday school class or in a new members class. There is, for many of us, a family history of this deposit has been, that has been entrusted to us. And for my wife and I, we both had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home with godly parents who very faithfully deposited spiritual truth into our account. And we had the opportunity to go to Christian school, Christian college, where continually we had this deposit, and now we have the ability to give this out. And so even in our own, the context of this local church, we as, who are parents have this opportunity. If we have received a deposit, no matter where that deposit came from, we now have the responsibility to be dispersing that. Dispersing that spiritual capital into the lives of our children, into the lives of other children, so that they may also carry on in this gospel of grace. 
entrusting it to faithful men. We mentioned in the video two pastors, Frank, Frank and Francois, who are seminary graduates who have now been laboring faithfully in the city of Yaoundé with local churches, and we have had the opportunity to be involved with them, to visit their churches frequently, and now we received the joy of, after we came back from furlough, to hear the news that they have been invited to now teach at the seminary on the undergrad level. So now these faithful men who had received the deposit are now training others who will then be able to teach others also, and the cycle continues on. So that's the second imperative that Paul gives. Be empowered, be strengthened by grace, and then entrust this to faithful men. And the first two, we like, we're okay with. And then Paul gets to verse 3. And he says, share in suffering. And that's where we want to start pushing on the brakes a little bit. Because no one likes to suffer. No one likes to go through difficulties or hard times. No one likes to be vulnerable, to be exposed. And so we have the rise, and and we see it in America, we hear it, and it has been exported from America to uh, many countries around the world, such as Cameroon, what is called the prosperity gospel. Where the message is God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. Or maybe we could call it the security gospel. God wants you to be safe. But this imperative here that Paul says to Timothy is share in suffering. This phrase is also translated in various translations as endure hardship. Bear up under difficulty. And this word is only used, in the whole scripture, it is only used here in 2 Timothy. And it's used in chapter 2, verse 3, but it's also used in chapter 1 and verse 8. And I'd like you just to look back, maybe just on, across the page, look at how Paul frames this when he talks about sharing and suffering. Because someone might ask the question, why? Why should I share in suffering? Why shouldn't I want to be comfortable? Why shouldn't I want to be safe? And Paul says, share in suffering. And he says in chapter 1 and verse 8, he answers two questions. He answers the question, why? And he answers the question, how? Why? Share in suffering. Why? For the gospel. This isn't just suffering for suffering's sake. This isn't just suffering because I did what I wanted to do. The Apostle Peter talks about that. He says, let none of you suffer as an evildoer. Don't suffer for doing wrong. Don't suffer for being stubborn and and going against the will of God. And then you hit the wall and, oh, that's not... But Paul says here to Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel. And in many areas of the world, this is the cost of advancing the gospel. We, if, if you read much and hear much about the, the, some of the latest trends in missions, you hear a lot about the unreached people groups around the world. And sometimes I 
simple question. Why are these unreached people groups still unreached? And in many of the cases, the answer is that they are in the most remote places in the world, the most difficult places to get to, or the most hostile places to the message of the gospel. You think of, for example, the Middle East, the Muslim world, North Africa. How is the gospel going to advance in those areas if we are not willing to suffer? Suffering is the cost that we must pay if we are to advance those gospels to these unreached peoples. And so Paul says that we must be willing to suffer for the gospel. And how do we do this? Paul answers this question as well in chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And this is where we go back to the very first imperative of being empowered by grace. Understanding the grace of God that empowers us, allows us to suffer for the gospel. And if we do not have an understanding of this grace, we will not be ready, we will not be willing to suffer. But when we understand the message of the gospel, that we have a Savior who left his home country of heaven to come down to live with us, to take on our flesh, to dwell among us. As Paul says to the Philippians, he humbled himself, not just to become a human, but to be treated as a slave and to be crucified as a criminal. Christ himself was willing to suffer. And therefore he said that if we are to follow in his steps, we also will face difficulties. We also will face suffering. Paul says in this same book to Timothy, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So this is the third imperative that Paul says to Timothy. And we have seen this probably most clearly, most evidently in the life of our dear brother that we mentioned in the video, Etienne. Many of you, if you have received our, our prayer updates, you've heard news about Etienne, young man who was saved out of a Muslim background, immediately began to be persecuted by his family when his uncles found out, as, since his father had passed away, his uncles were kind of in charge of, of raising him and educating him. When they found out, they locked him in a room, basically a, maybe a glorified closet, for three days and passed him a plate of food through the window once a day simply because he had made the choice to reject Islam and to follow Jesus Christ. And ever since that point, Etienne has had to flee and his family has always been behind him ready to physically or in any way that they could persecute him for the sake of the gospel. Because he is in following the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as ATN has gone to different places, and he's faced a number of difficult difficulties in his life. One trip he went uh, specifically for ministry, he, he contracted some, some very unclean water, which is 
a, a big problem, especially in our part of the world. And he developed a serious eye disease that had to, had to be treated. And it actually threatened to cost him the use of his eyes. But by the grace of God, he was able to receive the treatment. Went on another trip into a desert area, was meeting in a desert oasis where he was praying with a fellow believer and he was bitten by an extremely poisonous desert snake. Went into a coma, lost consciousness. Later on, the doctors told him that most people who are bitten by this kind of snake die within four to five hours. Their heart stops. It was 10 hours before ATN even was able to get basic first aid. And God spared his life. You would think a person like that would say, okay, enough, I'm going to take a step back. But no. After he was sent as a missionary from the church in Yaoundé, where we had been involved, he was sent out as a missionary to Senegal. As he was in Senegal, he was laboring. He had a close friend of his who was a missionary neighboring, uh, ministering in a neighboring country that is essentially 995 to 100% Islamic. Conversion from Islam is illegal. Punishable by the death penalty. And this friend of his was ministering in this country. He was driving a vehicle, got caught in a sandstorm. His vehicle went off the road, hit a landmine, and he was killed instantly. So what did Etienne do? He left his ministry in Senegal, in the capital city, in the comfort, and he went into this neighboring country to replace his friend. And he continues to, to minister in this country, trying to work in a very delicate area to strengthen the believers to spread the gospel. Someone who is willing, no matter the cost, to embrace suffering for the cause of Jesus. And this is the third imperative. And this isn't just what Paul is saying to Timothy or to someone over there. This word is addressed to all of us. We must all be empowered by grace. We must all be entrusting these truths to the next generation. And we must all share in suffering. And evidently, suffering in our context will look very different than suffering maybe in the context that Etienne serves in. And so Paul doesn't specify the kind of suffering. He just says, share in suffering. Do it for the gospel, for the advance of the gospel by the power of God. And the fourth imperative that we see here is down in verse 8. Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Dictionary written by Loanida. I love the way that they explained this word. They said, to keep on recalling and thinking about it again and again. It's not just a one-time, oh yeah, Jesus, I remember him. It's a very functionally, very practically, every day, moment by moment, I am recalling Jesus. I am thinking about him. The author of Hebrews said it this way, looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because what happens when we don't? 
We think of the example of the Apostle Peter. Remember when he was in the boat on the Sea of Galilee? And the disciples were all in the boat together, and there was this great storm, and Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter, of course, impetuous Peter, he says, hey, I want to try this too. So he says to Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come and walk to you on the water. And Jesus said, okay, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he does it. He's actually walking on the water up until he takes his eyes off Jesus, and the Scripture tells us that when he saw the wind and the waves, what happened? He started sinking. He started going down. The moment Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And he cried out and he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus lifted him up by the hand. So his salvation came when he returned his gaze. He looked back to Jesus and called out to him. And so Paul is going to tell Timothy here to, yes, be empowered by grace and entrust the deposit that you have been given to others and share in suffering. And as you are sharing in suffering, fix your eyes on Jesus. And it is as we fix our eyes on Jesus, this is what enables us to endure the hardship. This is what enables us to share in the suffering because we, we place our focus on the one who came and who suffered for us. As the author of the book of Hebrews says, the great apostle and high priest of our faith. Another illustration that we have seen of this in our ministry in Cameroon is the president of the seminary where we, we work. A man by the name of Simon Vondo. Simon has a very interesting story. Before he came to Christ, he was trained to be a judge. He had already gone through all the schooling, all the testing. He was simply waiting for his appointment to the bench. And he found himself, as is usually the case, in a long wait. Because... Those are the opportunities that certain people who are the gatekeepers, they, that is the opportunity that they have to, at times, line their pockets by people who are motivated and wish to get in faster, so they are willing to pay. And Simon, who was a man of principle, either didn't have the finances or decided not to do that, so he was waiting and waiting for this appointment to the bench. While he was waiting, after already having been trained, someone shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he trusted Christ. And when he trusted Jesus Christ, he decided to leave it all behind. All of the schooling, all of the training, all of the prestige and honor that awaited him as a judge in the nation, he set it all aside, and he decided he was going to follow Jesus. So he went back to school, went to seminary to study the scriptures. After his graduation, he became a teacher at the seminary. Began teaching, began training others and sharing the gospel. And then there was a division among some of the people at the seminary. Simon was falsely accused, he was lied about, he was slandered, and he was sent packing. He had to leave. And where I probably would have vigorously stood up and tried to defend myself and defend my rights and said, no, this is not true. Simon simply, very humbly, 
trusted God, and he went out to a remote village and pastored a church, hidden away, tucked away in this little village where nobody knew him, nobody saw him. And by the grace of God, eventually he was brought back as a teacher and then sent to the States to do his doctoral work and now has become the president of the seminary. And he has been to us a tremendous example, a tremendous encouragement as we meet for staff meetings and he shares with us different difficulties and then shares with the staff how instead of looking at what this person is doing, or instead of looking at the negatives of this situation, he is choosing to fix his eyes on Christ. He is choosing to leave it in God's hand and let God work. And we have seen this time and again. Of course, we don't have time to share all of the different illustrations that we could. But these are the four imperatives that the Apostle Paul lays out for all of us who would be involved in ministering the gospel. Not just for pastors or for missionaries, but all of us. Be empowered by grace. Entrust the deposit that we have been given to faithful believers. Share in suffering. And remember Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And as we do that, as we do that, together, collectively, as a body. As, we, as the, the book of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily while it is called today so that none of us are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As we do that together, not just as individuals, but corporately as a body, we will be working together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it be overseas in Cameroon or China or around the world, where Colonial sends its missionaries, or whether it be right here in the Hampton Roads area. May the Spirit help us to remember these four imperatives for gospel ministry and to work together with a Christ-centered focus to advance the gospel wherever he has placed us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus we thank you for this gospel of grace that has reached us, that has changed us, and that has been deposited into our accounts that we might disperse it to others. Father, grant us the strength to endure the suffering that you have ordained from us so that the gospel might advance. And help us not to be forgetful but to remember Jesus, to fix our eyes on him. And Lord, we know one day we will have the joy of being in his presence for all eternity. Father, for the church, thank you for those who are here this morning. We pray that our hearts will be blessed and encouraged. For the name of Jesus, amen. Let's respond now by standing and singing together. All I have is Christ.